0: Hey, this is the Canadian Taxpayers Federation podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Chris Sims. I'm the Alberta director. I'm here with my partner in crime and friend, Franco Terrazano. You're holding down the fort there in Ottawa, or I like to call it Mordor. So you were telling me the other day that they're actually looking at government pay raises and the amount of money that we're talking about when it comes to government pay raises. Like I almost choked on my coffee. How much money are we talking about here?
1: Well, I just have to read you the quote. Okay, it's straight from the Treasury uh, Board of Canada. The Public Service Alliance of Canada, it's a federal government union. Quote has asked for average increases, including pay and other provisions, of up to fourteen percent annually. over three years across their bargaining groups. Now, what? <laughs> Chris, I'm sorry, that's nuts. You did hear that right. Compensation of up to 14% increase annually. Now, I almost couldn't believe that this was even within the realm of possibility of what a government union boss was pushing for. So I actually had to follow up with the government just to make sure that the quote was right. Um, of course, they did confirm that that is what they meant up to 14% annually increase in compensation. But you know what? It gets worse because we found another quote from the same union. Uh, The union said that they may have, quote, no other choice but to withdraw our services and take our members on strike, end quote. So Simmer, (laughs) let me break down this crazy uh, series of events bureaucrats they didn't financially suffer at all during the pandemic they even benefited financially now they want more and if taxpayers won't pony up then they're not going to show up for work
0: this is just bloody sick as you point out many times uh we are not all in this together okay we're in the same storm yeah (laughs) some of them are in a government friggin paid lot a yacht and the rest of us are in a dinghy this is the tale of two pandemics um they did not financially suffer during the lockdowns and the pandemics and nonsense that happened. And now they're coming back. And like, again, I've been around collective bargaining tables. I've, I've covered this sort of story before 14%. So just by the numbers, if they did get a 14% raise after sailing through uh, what would that mean for taxpayers? How much would that cost?
1: Plain and simple higher taxes, plain and simple. Okay, so let me just break down some back of the napkin math for you. Uh, Nothing too complex. But look, the federal government spends uh, about $60 billion a year on labor. So now giving the bureaucracy a 14% increase to the compensation would cost taxpayers about $8 billion every single year. So how would the federal government pay for that? Because $8 billion is nothing to sneeze at. Well, let me give you some examples. It could hike the GST by nearly a full percentage point, or it could hike its lowest annual income tax rate by 1.75 points. Uh, But make no mistake about it, that type of ask, that type of demand, that type of push would mean higher taxpayers for the people who just struggled over the last two years of the pandemic and government lockdowns. So essentially we have people who never missed a paycheck during the lockdowns uh, asking for a raise and the people who have suffered financially the mom and pop shop the private sector worker the private sector taxpayer over the last few years uh would have to pick up the tap
0: and not only that not only did they come through financially unscathed and in some cases they got bonuses and pay raises um but we are dealing with tax hikes on this side of the fence too so we're dealing with increased payroll taxes we're dealing with increased alcohol taxes we're dealing with increased carbon taxes which as we point out uh, increases the cost of everything it doesn't matter if it's heating or eating or whatnot hmm. um i really need to stress this like i, I live in lethbridge uh and you know it um, oh yeah it's god's not like country. That- you know, it's not a government <laughs> town. Uh, these are working people that are yeah. working on, you know, machinery and like they're they're hardworking folks. And I notice in the grocery store now because of the inflation and the increased carbon taxes, you know, when you see people put stuff back. Yeah, I see that a lot more now. Um, And I have in the past year. I've noticed it. Uh, this is this is not right for them to be demanding this. Again, we need to stress. So. We've got we've got them sailing through the pandemic without financial pain and they didn't lose their jobs. On top of that, some of them got pay raises and bonuses. On top of that, we've been paying higher taxes, including carbon tax, inflation and whatnot. And now they want more or they're going to go on strike. Is that what we're hearing?
1: Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Look, private sector workers were missing paychecks. Small business owners were worried that their life savings wouldn't keep the lights on over the last two years uh meanwhile federal bureaucrats weren't even worried about missing their bonus checks okay uh but you're right a lot of them did get raises the vast majority actually got at least a raise during the pandemic so Hmm. in 2020 this union that we're talking about the uh, psac they actually negotiated raises As private sector layoffs reached all-time highs, that's according to a story from the National Post back in 2020 uh, when the private sector was just shedding jobs by the thousands. Um, In fact, the federal government gave 312,000 federal employees, federal bureaucrats, at at least one pay raise during the pandemic, during those lockdowns, we dug that uh, information up through an ATIP and access to information requests. Another ATIP that we got back showed that there are now 45,000 more federal government employees receiving a six figure salary than there were before the pandemic. By the way, no federal bureaucrat took a pay cut during the pandemic. And according to our friends at secondstreet.org, the federal government has no records, zero records of its employees ever taking a pay cut. So pay raises, no pay cuts for government employees. And here's the cherry on top, the big golden cherry on top, I should say, is that the federal government also dished out $360 million in bonuses in 2020 and 2021.
0: Yeah, there's been a lot of hard work going on there, uh, and it isn't coming from PSAC. It's coming from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation in Ottawa. Uh, I must say, uh, I was hosting at CFRA Radio years ago, and I remember when the Phoenix pay system was crashing and burning. We were getting phone calls from people who work for the government who were pleading for help, who hadn't been paid or had been way overpaid, and they were terrified, all this sort of stuff where you know they couldn't pay rent or mortgage because the very software through the federal government, which was paying them, wasn't working. Um, We reached out to union leaders at PSAC. Not a word, man, not a Hmm. word for months. They were not, you know, front lines defending their workers, blah, blah, blah. But they sure as heck will be there when it comes to pay raises and bonuses while the rest of us are enduring hardship. Exactly. So you mentioned that it was bonuses on top of pay raise. Not to rub salt in the wound, but I think we need to know the numbers here. Can you break down what kind of bonuses we're talking about when it comes to
1: government employees? $171 million in bonuses in 2020. 190 million dollars in bonuses in 2021. Remember, these are federal government employees, federal government bureaucrats. This isn't like, uh, you know, the nurses who are staffing the front lines uh, in Alberta Health Services, just for example. No, these are federal bureaucrats when we're talking about these bonuses. Now, 90 percent of the federal government executives received a bonus last year, even though federal departments failed to meet half of their own performance objective simmer. (laughs) Look. Todd, our boss, if we don't meet 50% of our dashboard performance objectives, we don't get a bonus. We get shown no. the door, okay? Um. But that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Because you have the federal government with its tentacles everywhere like this big old octopus. You have federal crown corporations that have also been running around giving themselves bonuses. The Bank of Canada failed to do its only job. It's one job to keep inflation low. What did it do? Handed out $45 million in bonuses and pay raises during the pandemic. The Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation another crown core that is no stranger to the taxpayer cookie jar handed out 60 nearly 60 million dollars in bonuses and pay raises during the pandemic and when canadians can afford to buy a home destination canada this might be the most craziest ladies and gentlemen but this is another crown corporation it is its task is to promote canadian tourism now while its tourism industry was shut down when people were legally not allowed to come to canada uh, what did they do well they also handed out pay raises and bonuses the cbc our favorite little state broadcaster also handed out 51 million dollars in bonuses and pay raises uh, in 2020 and 2021 cbc 51 million in bonuses and pay raises during the pandemic um and also let's look at this the job situation here right you mentioned the tale of two pandemics well i got some stats and figures for you Last December, our finance minister, Christia Freeland, uh, she essentially claimed during the uh, the fall fiscal update that well, Canada recovered all of the lost jobs during the pandemic. Well, I looked at the numbers. While she was making that claim, there were 80,000 fewer jobs in the private sector. There were 312,000 more government jobs across Canada. Of those new government jobs, there were 114,000 more public administration bureaucrat job. So while the finance minister was claiming that we recovered all the last lost jobs last year, in fact, it was the private sector taking it on the chin while the golden gates of government got even more gold.
0: <laughs> you know, it really is gross. And it is the tale of two pandemics. Uh, you were mentioning uh, the fact that, you know, the desk warmers And the bureaucrats responsible for promoting tourism in Canada actually managed to, you know, eke out a bonus. Um, Well, the folks on the front lines of the tourism industry were just getting sacked. Um, I brings up a story. I was speaking with a young guy. He was from Alberta working his butt off out in Vancouver, and he actually worked as a bellhop uh, Hmm. for many years at the hotel. Uh, Hadn't heard that term in a while. And putting himself through school, whatnot, working really hard. He got completely canned. Because, of course, you know, nobody was allowed to travel or come to Canada. And he was actually trying to save the PST that the provincial government was punishing him with for daring to get a used car to try Mm -hmm. to buy Uber, to try to drive Uber so he could pay his rent. Like, it's just this cascade of unfairness and the tale of two pandemics. So this affects real people. This is not just numbers. This is not just us versus them. This is the tale of two pandemics. We're paying for it here. So we've got hundreds of thousands of government employees. They're getting a raise, hundreds of millions of dollars paid out in bonuses. Now the government union bosses actually are pushing for up to 14% raises in their wages. So folks, who needs to pay that, right?
1: Yep. Total compensation up to 14% um and you know what you know I, what really grinds my gears chris and and I, I, maybe we can just close on this not only are the people who didn't financially suffer at all during the pandemic even financially benefited. and not only are they grabbing for more but if taxpayers don't pony up they're threatening not to show up to work
0: this is completely unacceptable folks um if you're mad Good. Do something with that anger that is useful. Email and phone your member of parliament. Doesn't matter which party they're representing because they work for you. You tell them to tell PSAC to back down that you will not be forking over 14 percent pay raises and that you won't be putting up with this anymore. And if your MP doesn't respond to you, here's a little tip. Send them a follow up email and you tell them at the next election that you're going to organize a group in your neighborhood and you're going to door knock against them in their riding. You're going to get a response from that because then their jobs on the line. Folks, um, if you want any of these details and stats, Franco put all of it into an excellent column in the sun. Check out our show notes for the link to that. So Franco, I saw this in the newspaper this uh, past week or so and my head nearly fell off. So walk me through this, the Can app, okay? Lots of people love to hate on this thing, but there's a big <laughs> financial price to this thing too. Yep. How did this work? We it we actually had somebody be able to develop it for two hundred and fifty thousand, but we wound up spending fifty something million. Walk me through this.
1: Yeah, some software developers they uh, they decided to spend the Thanksgiving weekend making their own versions of the arrive uh, the arrive can app. Uh, it took them about two days. <laughs>
0: OK, now I am saying this as a fellow nerd, but that's one of the nerdiest things I've ever heard that, hey, buddy, we have a long weekend. What do you want to do? Cook some turkey, have some beer? No, let's, let's make a software app. Um, Why did they do this?
1: OK, so uh, there is these developers. Hold on. Backstory, backstory, backstory. Okay, so okay. the Globe and Mail. The Globe and Mail uh produces what is turning out to be a bombshell article that shows that the ArriveCan app cost uh, is costing us taxpayers fifty-four million dollars, which is double the cost than what Ottawa originally divulged to the public. So you have these like nerdy developers, I guess, who are sitting around. They they saw the Globe and Mail story. Uh, they thought the costs were absolutely ridiculous. So then they just tried to make the app again and see how much it would cost them. Um, and turns out they did. Uh, prove that these costs are quite ridiculous i mean look over the thanksgiving weekend uh, a single techie one single techie managed to recreate the arrive can app in about two days meaning if you start on friday after work he, uh the individual was finished before thanksgiving dinner on sunday
0: Oh man, just to prove that it's a crazy waste of money. <laughs> Be still my beating heart. Those are the types of folks who need doing this. So, again, for folks who don't know what this thing is that we're talking about, this Arrive Can app, um, this was the COVID app that everyone was forced to fill out to get back into Canada. So, if you dared go to the United States of America for whatever reason mm-hmm. to get back into your country, okay, you couldn't just have your passport you had to fill out this arrive can app. I had to do it myself. It was a complete nightmare and it malfunctioned. It was awful. The feds removed that requirement, uh, earlier this month, but again, just how much did this cost us? This, this app that barely worked and everybody hated
1: on 54 million, $54 million. And again, that's, uh, That's twice than what the costs that were originally told to the public a little bit earlier on. Um, Now, look, remember, that's $54 million is is what it's costing uh, taxpayers. And it took a techie about two days to make this app. And look, I'm sure that techie, I'm sure he's a smart guy. I'm sure he's a really smart guy. I probably cheated on him (laughs) in math class back in the day. But look, look, it's not like this individual is a -a one-of-a-kind super genius, right? We're not talking about uh, the reincarnation of Albert Einstein. Maybe we are, but here's why I say that. Um, Because another Toronto tech company also saw the Globe and Mail news article, also thought it was so ridiculous. So simultaneously, without knowing the other developer... um, also asked its employees if they could recreate the arrive can app. Okay. So turns out this other Toronto tech company got its employees to also re- recreate <laughs> the app in about two days. Okay. So you have this one like single developer who was able to recreate the app in two days. And then another Toronto tech company was also able to recreate uh, the tech app in a couple days. days. Um, now, I talked about the the bombshell Globe and Mail report, but there was also another article from the National Post. And I saw a quote from the National Post or or a piece of writing in that story that just absolutely got my blood boiling. And I'm going to read it for you here. Okay, quote, Given that Arrive Can... Is a relatively simple text based screening app. Its raw development costs could conceivably have been delivered for under $250,000, some say. Chris, some say the de- raw development costs were about $250,000, yet it's costing taxpayers $54 million. What's that thing you always say? Just add? Just add government. Mm. Okay, so to recap, we had two separate teams of lovable nerds. Well, don't call them teams. Like, there is literally just one guy in his basement, I guess. Like, I don't know, maybe mom's basement. Who knows? No judgment. Okay, okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> None here either.
1: Okay, so two lovable nerds took it upon themselves over the
0: long weekend, Thanksgiving long weekend, unbeknownst to each other. So they didn't know each other were doing this. They were each able to reproduce this app right? Which is like a text-based app of, you know, are you smuggling COVID into the country? No, like you have to (laughs) click a couple of buttons. Um, So not only that, but now we're hearing that they actually could have done it for around $250,000. How did the Trudeau government spend more than $50 million?
1: That's the $54 million question, isn't it, Simmer? Um, So look, I mean, Look, the raw development cost $250,000. Now, I have been seeing some people on social media saying, well, you know, it's easier to uh, recreate an app than it is to actually Create the app from the get go before anyone else does it. Look, I'm not a techie. Honestly, I don't know. But um, when it's when some people say the raw development costs are two hundred fifty thousand, and then I see the final government price tag of fifty four million. Look, man, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but you know that has me scratching my head. Uh, but here's where it gets even more bizarre. Um, in the last federal budget, the Trudeau government earmarked, I believe it was twenty five million dollars for maintaining the Arrive Can app. But, of course, the Globe story shows that the true cost is closer to $54 million. So the costs are more than double what the government originally told taxpayers. You know what, Chris? One day, just one day, I'd like to wake up in my beautiful studio apartment downtown, get out of bed, walk two feet to the fridge, have, have some breakfast and see a news story. Just one day that says, hey, look. Government program actually comes in under budget, efficiencies found. Just one day I'd like to see that. Well, my friend, that would likely be April Fool's Day. <laughs> it would, because you're not going to read that, I'm sorry to say. So,
0: but again, we need to stress this. They'd earmarked $25 million. They actually blew it by double, more than double. Mm-hmm. We're also pointing out that these two techies were able to do it in a couple of days and could have done it for around $250,000. So a fraction of a fraction of the actual cost to taxpayers. Where did this money go?
1: Well, yeah, that's that's the question, right? Um, but you know, it's it's hard to answer it because of the lack of transparency mm. really the secrecy that that is involved here now the company that received the most federal funding in the development of this app it has around five employees has around a handful of employees very few employees and they rely very heavily on subcontractors mm. look I, I don't know what the best way is to develop an app i don't know what the most efficient way is to develop an app but here's the problem the government won't reveal the identity of those subcontractors, okay? So taxpayers are paying the bills. We deserve to know who got those secondary contracts, so to speak, right? And even more troubling when you really consider what Arrive Can really is all about is that there's a lack of transparency, not just in corporate contracts, but there's a lack of transparency involving people's private healthcare information. I mean, many people rightfully want to ensure Uh, protection of their own uh, private information like this. But there's a few other issues, okay? So in one of the Globe stories, uh, they were able to identify another problem, and it's that the value of some of these IT contracts increased dramatically uh, through amendments after they were awarded, right? So they apparently awarded contracts to certain companies, and then for whatever reason, uh, the cost of the contract increased afterwards. Now, another problem this time... Uh, quoting again the national post um the federal government managed to outsource the apps development to no less than 23 companies eight of which raked in a commission um of of at least one million dollars
0: 23 companies
1: yep 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 yep
0: why like okay we need answers to this um to play devil's advocate a little bit though, uh, it was COVID. It's the fog of COVID. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Bad stuff is happening. Um, did we need this app? Is $54 million what we had to spend in order to create this app to let Canadians back into their own country?
1: Okay, first of all, so two things there. First of all, I, I get this all the time, and I was on radio talking about this uh this issue, and 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 the host asked me a similar question, and said, Well, hey, fog, you know, fog of COVID-19, they're just trying to pump money out the door. Um, okay. That would be an okay argument in March or April of 2020. Yeah. As we're recording, it's October thirteenth, twenty twenty-two. <laughs> OK, yeah. so at least a year into covid and uh, we're, we're well now more than two years into covid and, and we're still hearing stories like this. Right. So hey so man, I don't they're think... moving
0: at the speed of government.
1: <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, that is right. But look, when you ask if this is a necessary cost or not, or if the if the yeah. pros outweigh the cons, well, how can we judge this? I mean, um the government hasn't made the case, and but even more from a common sense angle. I mean, if there's you know a few developers that are able to recreate the app in two days, someone says the raw development cost is two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and now we find out uh, that the app is costing taxpayers fifty four million. I don't know. Seems to me like there probably could have been a more efficient way to get this thing built. Okay, um, but also, it's not like a Rive can. Didn't have its flaws. It's not like there weren't hiccups. It's not like this was the most perfect app. Fifty four million dollars later, and I remember. Everybody he- loved it. Yeah, yeah no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. I mean, look, I remember hearing a story this summer uh, that there was like a technical error with the app, and the app ordered what was it, ten thousand plus travelers into mandatory quarantine, despite the fact that they had filled their vaccine information um, correctly. Um, yeah. Right, but but look, I mean, right now. We're still waiting on the government to provide answers. What were the tangible benefits? Why did the cost balloon fifty-four million dollars? And why is it? Why are taxpayers on this much of a hook for an app when you have apparently two different techies who are able to develop this thing within a few days?
0: Yeah, uh, you raise great questions. Uh, this is a real thing. I heard from tons of people about this, and even when I was crossing the border back in from Washington State to BC, I had everything filled out fine, much to my chagrin. Yeah, um, but they still had it. Still malfunctioned. They still had to pull me into the office for questioning. They had mm. to phone up health Canada, like on some bat phone back to Ottawa. And my daughter who was riding with me, who again had all of her papers and documentation was still ordered incorrectly by this app to quarantine for two days. And I had to fill in the thing every single day to say, you know, where are you? What are you doing? It's bizarre. Even though the human being border guard was like, yeah, none of this makes sense. You're free to go, but this thing is going to ding on you every day and you're going to have to fill it out. There's, thousands of people who had that. So, you know, if this hadn't cost us so much money and anguish, um, this would be a joke. So who's going to be held accountable? This sounds like a boondoggle. How do we hold these folks accountable?
1: Well, almost as we're recording uh, the news just broke that opposition MPs uh, are, are, are pushing into uh, a committee investigation into this Uh, the conservatives, the liberals and the NDP. So even if the liberals are not in favor of a committee investigation into this. There's still enough votes to actually f- afford it. A- and that's a very good thing. We actually need to have the investigation because taxpayers have some answers that we deserve, right? I mean, number one, if it took a developer two days to make an app and raw development costs are 250K, uh, how how in the world would the government manage to spend $54 million on the app? Um, the another question that we need is is the company that received the uh, most amount of money, they're called GC Strategies. Well, how much money did they actually receive receive um for the creation and their Mm. role in developing the app there's some questions around the actual total amount that we need to know Um, also who do they subcontract the work out to and um there's some There's some story suggesting that the company also received a sole-sourced contract. So why were there any sole-sourced contracts to begin with? So those are just some of the questions. Again, there's been a lack of transparency in this whole process. So taxpayers deserve answers to these fairly basic questions. And that's why it's a good idea that we're seeing opposition MPs push for this committee investigation.
0: It is very good. Again, the idea of socialist contract, that should be like not expensing booze on taxpayers' dime. This should be a no-brainer. We should not have to keep on explaining this to adults who work as members of parliament and who work in cabinet. So the good news out of this, folks, is that it sounds like it's going to go to committee. And as we are seeing, uh, our committees actually have a lot of power. They can subpoena witnesses. Everything is on the record. It's translated. It's recorded. All the parties are at the table. Uh, So that's the good news out of this. Folks, if you're annoyed uh, that we spent around $54 million on something that apparently could have been done for a quarter million bucks by a couple of people over the long weekend, pick up the phone, email your member of parliament, tell them you want answers to this now. Thanks, Franco. I'm here with my friend, Gage Hobrick. He is in charge of what's basically the Canadian Taxpayers Federation youth version. It's actually called Generation Screwed. And one of the reasons for that is that, yeah, unfortunately it's young people that are gonna be inheriting that massive debt. Uh, Gage, can you just describe for us, for those of us who haven't been part of a campus club before or in the university movement, what is Generation Screwed? How does it fit into the ecosystem at university?
2: No, for sure. Thanks, Chris. So Generation Screwed, kind of as you said, is uh, the campus club wing of the Canadian tax Federation. And since the government is going to be saddling all these young people with debt, we think it's kind of our mission to go to these college campuses, make sure that students who are at these campuses know the problem and how they can help us fight back to stop it. So basically how a campus club works is I uh, go to different campuses and I try and find some young motivated student who hates taxes, hate debt, and wants to help me fight back. And then he goes he goes to his uh, student union government and he says, hey, I want to start a club because clubs are a big part of kind of the student experience because that's how you do extracurriculars kind of outside of your classrooms, learn career skills, even just interest stuff. And what we try and do is advocate for our message through that. So they go and they get a student union government and they get their nice campus club set up and they start advertising to students. We set up our tables and we say, hey guys, do you know how much per capita debt you owe in whatever province you're in? And it kind of really surprises the students when they come by. And we think that's probably one of the most Uh, fun parts and from that they kind of just set up they hold events and try and spread the message as best they can.
0: Now I've I've wandered through a campus before when they had campus club tables set up and is it safe to say there's a pretty wide variety of campus clubs I think I remember everything from pro-Palestine clubs to like J.R.R. Tolkien fan clubs like they were all set up with their tables and Generation Screwed is one of those right?
2: No exactly we'll be right in the smack dab middle whenever the university has a club day it works really well for us too because it'll be like oh J.R. Tolkien fan club. Sure, I like Lord of the Ring. But someone will walk by our banner and they'll see Generation Screwed and they'll walk up and be like, why am I screwed? It's like, well, <laughs> let me talk to you about the government debt. It's a big good way to bring people in that way.
0: I kind of love it. It's like preaching, teaching, and nagging in order to get smaller government. Uh, now, can, can you describe for us the sort of actions that you guys take? What sort of events are you involved in? Well, um, what, I actually went to one of your events in uh, Calgary, and I was surprised and super impressed by how many people were there, young people. Uh, a lot of them were in econ, some of them were in law, poli-sci, and even some outside of that, what I would consider the traditional wing of people who care about things like government debt. Can you describe what some of those gatherings are like?
2: Right, yeah. So the first step, kind of as I alluded to, is you had that sticker there, is always yeah. just the the tabling. So we set up our table, and we try and get as many students we can to kind of sign up to our list. I think we have such a broad appeal to almost all students, because even if you just care about politics, you want to join. But everyone should care about the debt, because that's going to be your tax burden in the future. So I think everyone can really, can really get on board in the end. An example, like one of the best events we've had so far this year was the event... Uh, with you, we talked about the consequences of PST in Alberta. I think that's something that's a lot of those students might not learn in their classroom. So it's always good when we can bring someone uh, as talented as yourself to kind of give the students a better perspective um, on that issue. Uh, we had uh, a couple other events across the country that are of a similar mindset, be the speaker, come in and talk about stuff. Uh, at the latest uh, U of T pub night, they talked about and compared prices of stuff on the campus bar menu to what uh, the governor general's having in her in-play catering bill. And I think oh, they hit a lot good. of home to students because, uh, you know, they're not affording a uh, beef carpaccio anytime soon. I don't think.
0: No kids. As far as I remember from university kids, uh, they usually survive on, you know, Raymond noodles, <laughs> mac and cheese, tuna, but uh, they're going to be paying for the governor general's uh, beef carpaccio and beef Wellington and a few other things that I couldn't pronounce and had to actually look up. So this sounds great. But I think, I think the big thing here is just that how many I call them kids, I'm sorry, but how many young people came out to this? And credit where it's due, uh, Franco Terrazano came with me to that Calgary event. And boy, he pulled up a chair and stood on it. It looked like something at a Dead Poet Society or that movie, Rudy. <laughs> he really had the kids go in there. Um, how is it that so many people have come back? Because as we know, uh, during the COVID mess, everything kind of went down to almost nothing because people couldn't participate in really anything. How has it suddenly resurged and built back up?
2: Well, it was a rough going at first, like as you're mentioning, obviously the COVID pandemic, you can't really recruit um, people to come out to your event in a Zoom classroom. No one wants to leave their house anyway, so everybody's stuck inside. Depressed um, but I think and don't want to talk yeah. about anything. Yeah. No, exactly. Just doing their math and then going to sleep. But now that everything's back in person, they're, they're trying to ramp up the campus clubs again and trying to make everybody kind of involved in the on-campus community. So that's a good thing first. But the second thing, that's a good thing from recruitment, but not necessarily a good thing overall, is there's so much more debt now than there was before. So we have a bunch of students who are very concerned about the growth of it. They're looking to get involved and find somebody, uh, find a way to fight back. Because before this, they were stuck downstairs, as we we're kind of saying, in their in their mom's basement doing classes. They didn't know to talk about this stuff, no way to spread the message. But now they're all ready, raring to go, and actually trying to help us uh, explain to this generation why they might be screwed if they don't uh, help advocate for less waste and lower debts.
0: Exactly, and more accountable government. Uh, Gage, great work. Uh, folks, uh, if you if you can't yet quite see how important this is, uh, just imagine that you're a, an employer, right? Or you're a newsroom on Parliament Hill, or you're one of the older MPs, right? Or you're in charge of staffing. Where do you get your next generation and young people from that care about smaller government, more accountable government, lower taxes and less waste. We have to reach university students where they are. And if they've got stuff like this on their laptop and they're ready to pick very interesting arguments, perhaps with some of their professors in their universities, that means our message is getting through. So really essential work there. Uh, How can people get involved if they want to sign up, if they want to get their young people involved who are already at university? How do they do that?
2: Well, if anybody knows a young person or wants to get involved, just head on over to JenniferNscrew.ca and either send us an email on that or sign up to the contact form. We'll get in touch and we'll uh, try and set up a campus club at the place nearest to you or direct you to our nearest campus club so you can start getting involved.
0: Gage, thanks so much for this.
2: Thanks, Chris.